So, we are on the last part of our series tonight. Anybody remember? I hope so. I remember we were about to start Abraham. Yes, last week you did chapter 22 of Abraham. And this week we're going to do a couple chapters um, just because not a lot. I mean, a lot happens, but not a lot of significant things happen. So we're going to put them all together. And let's review before we start, though. Because we have two people that were not here for most of the series unless they were following online. Well, we always review anyways, so. Okay. What can you tell me about Abraham? His name was Abraham. Yes. And his life was Sarai. Yes. And they lived in Ur. Yep. And God told him to go. He didn't say where. So he left. Did he go to Egypt first? Yeah, he went to, he went to uh, like a town place first to stop because of his, his father or something like that was dragging him down a bit, like he was too slow. Not too slow, um, but yes, okay. God called him and told him to leave to get out of the culture that he lived in and to leave his family. And Felicia's right, he stopped along the way, he stopped in Haran. Right, H-A-R-O-A-N. And he did stop because, or this is what we re-determined from the text, that he stopped because of his father and his other um, family, but why? Okay, so they may have, Felicia did say, dragging him down, but not in a literal, like, walking, he couldn't walk fast enough sense, but a spiritual sense that he was being held back because of that. Okay, so then God calls him again, and where does he go from there? Well, where is he? So he's not, doesn't have a destination, but where is he supposed to walk around? Where is Rio soon going to be? Okay, everywhere, but everywhere in, like you guys said, the promised land, which is Canaan. And why is he doing that? He's given um, three promises, right? You will have as many sons as you will have many descendants as there are greens. Of sand under the sea was one of them. Okay, many descendants. He would have a son, and he would be the brother of A son, and what? What's wrong? Why is that a challenge for him to have a son? Okay, they're really old, and they haven't had any children yet. So at this point, when he starts off, he is eighty. And when he finally gets a son, he's like 120. Here's the easy math to remember for how old Sarah is. She's 10 years younger than him. So that's all you have to remember all the way through. And when they have the kid, she's like 120. He's like 130 or something like that. No, he's 100 and she is 90. Okay, so what are the other promises? Gideon said one of them. Okay, what was it? He'll be the father of a nation. Okay. 
Yeah, we're gonna gonna put that under this also. So the nation comes a lot, that nation is going to be his descendants. Oh, you will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Okay, whoever blesses you will be blessed and whoever curses you will be cursed. And we see that happen throughout his life and then it continues on. even to today, all right, you see nations that stand behind Israel, people who, um, who treat the Jews well and um, support them. Kind of like how the Germans did in the Holocaust. Yes, that would be an extreme example, but they are also blessed along with them. Okay, so then what else? One more. That's the reason he's walking around. The promised land. Okay, so we have those promises and that that is the key to this whole thing because what is Abraham famous for? Actually, two things. We haven't talked about the one in a while. Two things that he is known for. That would be like his subtitle. Lying about kind of about his wife kind of would be one of them technically. Nope. He's not known for that. Did you did anybody any of you know that before we started the series? I heard it. You heard it, okay. Some But that's not what you first think of when you think of Abraham, right? I think of the prophecy that he walked around. Okay. I think that the biggest one is that he saw Okay, so so let, what is a promise? Or what a promise we say here. I did that wrong. This should help you. So if I put what does that equal? I can't really see it. Oh, it's like the reverse, like when on the test they give you the the definition and you have to think of the word. Faith. Faith, right? He is famous for being a man of faith. The Really like the father of faith, having faith in God. Because everywhere he went, he always kind of felt like an altar. And when he was told to sacrifice his son, he needed to get, he was about to, but until the angel told him to stop. Yes, yeah, so that was a display of how great his faith was in God. So what's the other thing he's famous for? Relates to God also. We haven't talked about this in a while. He was the first um, man to believe solely in God. He's actually... No, because we have Noah. We have Noah, possibly Job. He was kind of like the first person around his time to hear God and do what he said like without question at first. Okay, yes, he's unique in that, that there were not a lot of other people at he's that like time. He's the only person that left Ur. Yes, but what is he famous for more when you think of it in the whole of Christianity? You look at everybody, we say that David was a man after God's own heart. We say that, um, John the Baptist, or John uh, the Apostle was the one that Jesus loved. All these things that relate you to God. How is Abraham related to God? 
What's his relationship? He's a good friend. He's the friend of God. That's what he is titled as. Okay, so he's the friend of God. Those are the things he's famous for because we're going to jump ahead. Remember when the three people came to visit Abraham at his tent? What did we say was interesting when we read that part? That Abraham bowed to him and tried to pull off like a really impressive, like a really impressive dinner. Okay, we did talk about that. Sarah laughed inside when... Before all that, though, when he first sees him... Oh, they, he wants to... Okay. To meet him. And, like... What'd you say? He recognizes him because... He's God. He's a friend. He's a friend. He recognizes him. You recognize someone that you're a friend with from a long ways away, okay? All right. You can't see far away without your glasses, though. Yeah, that's true. But he recognized him on a spiritual level. Okay, it was more than, there was more to it than just, because he's never seen God's face until that moment. I was kind of making a joke with it because I need to watch too far away. Oh, well, I'm glad you have them. So, um, Egypt, we kind of covered that real quick because I think you guys got that one down. We've talked about that a lot. Lot, let's talk about Lot. So he traveled with Abraham. Okay. Who, and who is he? He's his nephew. Yes. And when he got to the hill, he to the top of the hill, they split up, and Lot took the gra green grass, and then and like Abraham the took the horses. To be exact, like with the running river and all that. Okay. And then Lot set up his tent facing Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. He went and lived there. Like, and didn't he like guard the gate and all that? Yup. Okay. And then he and his family. Oh no, hold on. And then um, he tried to offer up his two daughters when the angels were there because the guys were saying. Come let us meet them. Right. It's getting intense, right? Yeah, and then they... But what's God going to do to the city he lives destroy in? Destroy it. Okay, right. So Lot tried to tell his uh, other daughters and sons, and they didn't believe him, so he took his wife, his two daughters and all that, and his wife looked back once they were in Zohar, and she turned to salt. Okay. And then they left Zohar, went up to the mountains and all that, and I'm not going to say anything more than that. That's okay. I know, it's intense. But we all know. Okay, all right. So, um, so that's the that is the um, the warning the warning story surrounding Lot. Oh, what do you call that when it's a story that has a warning to it? Uh, there's a word for that. Yeah, fable has a meaning to it. Yeah, precautionary. Precautionary tale of Lot is that he is temptation, right? Of living in and around sin and being tempted by it and falling prey to it, all right? So <clears throat> now, um, one part that we skipped over. 
Tell me about the covenant. I know none of you heard this one before we did this series. Oh, yeah, no. Abraham had to cut up the animals that were down the middle and set them on both sides, and he was supposed to walk down, but God sent the oil lamp or something down. Yep, that represented God. And it was like, there was also like a torch. Yep. And in some interpretations, there was like a fire pit or something like that. It's uh, like a smoking... Um, like a, sm a vessel that's like an incense, like sm that smoke is coming up out of it. Um, so what did it represent the animals cut in two lining the pathway? What did that mean? What did that symbolize? That's what's going to happen to you if you break. If you break the covenant, the, the agreement. But God down the path instead, but which is basically the opposite of what a slave, a slave and a slave's master, because a slave always walks down the path. And, and most of the time, like does break the promise and gets destroyed. Right. Because the master don't want to die. Well, I would, I would say servant is a better word to use than slave. Because a servant is, implies more a willingness to, to serve the master. Whereas a slave is forcibly. Okay. So, but yes, well, you're... Back then, it was mostly slaves instead of servants. Yes, I didn't want to go down this, but uh, slaves back then were very different from what you think of when we think of slaves because they're Middle Eastern and in that time period, slaves then were very different from um, African American slaves in the U.S., okay? Slaves then, a lot of times they would choose to be a, a slave, like they would owe a debt and they would say, well, I will serve you for seven years to pay my debt off. Or sometimes they'll say, I'll owe you my life. Yes, sometimes. So it's more like indentured servitude. Now, to be fair, there were people who were forcibly enslaved. But within the Jewish culture, that was not what was going on. So it has a different connotation. All right, sorry. So yes, so the important thing of that was that this was the first time that and really the first picture where God is saying, I am going to take all the consequences for your sin. I will take that on myself if you make a mistake. Which then we see that happen in a more, a, another picture of that that you looked at last week. What did you look at last week? Okay. When he got there, he was about to sacrifice his son, and then God trapped a ram for replacement. Okay. Yes. Anything else? Because I didn't, I didn't listen to it, so you gotta tell me. What, what did you guys learn about it? What was, what's some of the depth? I just the thing that sticks out in my mind is that. Um, that his son asked Abraham, like, where's the sacrifice? And it was him. Yeah, that's pretty rough, right? So, what, what's, somebody else, what's the takeaway that you had from it? Oh, I hate that word. Takeaway. What, what'd you, or what'd you learn 
from this story that you didn't know or you never thought of the last time you looked at it? Okay. Well, I just mean for you. I'm, don't give me the answer I want. What does it mean to you? Sierra, what are you thinking? Um, just like the ages of the two of them, that Isaac probably really would let him bind him. Mm. Because if Abraham is like a hundred, he couldn't have just... Overpowered him. Okay. It's interesting, there are a lot of questions of, that's one of those things that you wouldn't really want to be there to see it, but it's really hard to understand what must have it been, what it must have been like, what the, it must have been pretty tense, the entire thing. So, and I think that carries over to what it's a picture of, of how tense and how powerful Jesus's sacrifice was for us. Okay, so two weeks ago though, when I was here last, what did we talk about? Because this plays in to today's lesson. <clears throat> we talked about a lot of small little stories with Abraham. Something that came back around in his life that was one of his first struggles that he had. Yes. It was saying that Sarah, which this isn't entirely not true, mm -hmm. was his sister and not his wife, but it is kind of a lie, but it's not really because she really was his sister, but she was also his wife. Right. She was the plague on Egypt and all that, and uh, I believe something like uh, armor or something like that. What was that last part? And, enough, and it caused like a kind of like another plague in another place. Oh, okay, yes. Oh, yes. Um, the other place I wish you didn't. Was called, like, I know the guy was a Abimelech, but. Oh, well, it becomes uh, the land of the Philistines eventually. But it was, it was a weird name. Anyways, that doesn't matter. It was also part of a place called like Bereshia or something like that. Girar, that's what it was. Okay, so what? What? So what happened the second time? Instead of Egypt, so he does the same thing again, right? He's afraid again that somebody's going to take his wife Sarah. And then they, t and then he takes her because he think because they both thought that she was looking for someone she wasn't. That she was doing what? Looking for someone. As in she was not taken? Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yes, that she, yes, that she wasn't married, that she was available, as you might say. Okay, yes. So, what was the problem? What, wh why is this an issue? I guess, why is what Abraham did bad? First of all, because lying is putting sins on his heart. Second of all... Okay, lying, right, that's a base second of thing. Second causing plagues on innocent places because of what he said. Okay, yes, but when you... If you were to lie, Felicia, would that cause a plague on your house? Heck no. Or probably not, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't, but... It's because of the whole 
promise, like, I will bless thee who bless you and curse thee. Right. Exactly. Thankfully, a curse. Yes. Okay. So, that is an issue, but I don't think he was thinking about that. So, what's the other and underlying problem with what Abraham did? He always lost his wife. Yes, that's more of a face value problem, but an underlying issue that tells you. It was a nagging challenge that he had not overcome. Okay, right. So we talked about that we also have. Struggles that, like, that you um, will struggle with for a long time, maybe. Like, you might get over it, but. Okay, right. We all have certain temptations that we might fall into. We all go through maybe the same trial over and over again. But an underlying thing here is faith, right? And I guess that, that comes down to it for most of our struggles is that we are putting our faith in ourselves to get through it, putting our faith in something else to get you through that struggle instead of God. Okay. So now, um, and you'll see how this relay, relates into our lesson today. So we're coming now to the end of Abraham and his journey. And we're going to start in chapter 24 tonight of Genesis. Nope, 23. Um, yeah, because I remember us living off on like number 24. Uh, right before chapter 23 we were okay yep because we were actually on that's the last verse Tebe, so okay so um now so sarah is old now and she passes away and isaac when she dies is I mean, in his 30s and she dies at 127 pretty old the weird way they phrase it, though, is 107 and 20 years old. That's kind of a weird way to phrase it. Yes, because that's the old English they say. Uh, they use scores, which is means 20. So they'll say, like, three score, which is 30. So or, so, which is, sorry, 60. Sort of like on certain plays, they go four score and seven years ago. Yes, exactly. Exactly that. So um, you have to do a little bit of math. And... Abraham here in chapter 23, we're not going to read it because again, like I said, there's a lot of small details here that are interesting, um, that tell you more about his life, but we're not going to dwell on them too long, but he buys a small piece of land to bury her in. And technically they tried to give it to him first, but he kept saying, no, let me pay you for what it's worth. Yes, he does. And we saw that that is a trend for Abraham, that he does that with other things in his life, that he doesn't want anybody to misconstrue his wealth or what he has as he got it himself, but that God gave it to him. Some, so some he... People are just trying to be nice if you think about it. I know. It, and that is great. It's good. Um, and they, it was still good. They they had great. I'm sure they had good relationships because even though they were nice, he still compensated them for that property. And he buys this, which it really, in fact, is just a cave, because that's what they used to bury people in. Technically, it was a field, and at the very end of it, there was a cave. He bought the entire field too. Yes, but there are trees outlined where the. <laughs> 
Yes, I'm glad you read it all, Felicia. So the important part though is the, the cave is what he wanted on that property because in those times it's a very dry and arid climate, sometimes very rocky, so it's not easy to dig. You might not always be able to dig and bury a body, so they, put, they would put them in caves and then cover the opening. Um, so that's what he does. And now Abraham and Isaac are, um, are it as far as their family unit. It's just the two of them. And Abraham is now going to find Isaac a wife. Genesis chapter 24 now. We're going to jump to the next chapter. And we're going to read verses just 1 through 7 of this chapter. Um, start with Eli. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put I pray thee thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, amongst whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, and to my kindred, and take away from to my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land, must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest. And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou, beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. Yep. And the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swore unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Okay. So, what's going on here? He's telling his highest servant that he trusts the most, don't pick a wife from the Canaanites, but go to my hometown. Okay. And pick a wife Why doesn't he want a wife from the Canaanites? Because they make cannibals or something? Nope. Nope. The Canaanites are the people that he's been interacting with. The so Sodom and Gomorrah part of Canaan. He probably knows that they're like not really good people. Really okay. Well, What's the real problem? So the big issue. That's the land that God promised him, and God's not gonna wipe. Or, and he knows that he's gotta kick the people out to get the land. So he's got, and God wouldn't like, get rid of those people or destroy those people if they believe in God. Okay, the last part that we got there. They don't believe in God. They right, they follow false gods and he doesn't want that influence on Isaac's life. Okay. I mean, even the name of them kinda of sounds like they follow false gods literally because they're called the Canaanites. It kinda of sounds like they're an entire little organization. I guess it would be it's almost like the same as when you they say the Americas. Okay, so that's North America, Canada, U.S., Mexico, South America, with all the countries. That's more of what the Canaanites are. It's all these other city-states and just a group of people that live there that follow us, have a similar culture. Okay, so... Um, 
least, what he don't what live in Selenio like Mexico does. Okay, so okay. Well, that's neither here nor there. So, um, what Isaac is looking for is he wants to make sure that God is at the center of their family's lives, and he he knows he can't find it can't be found there among the Canaanites. So he thinks that um, the best case is to send his servant back to where his brother lives there in Haran. Trusted servant, to be exact. Uh, it says his eldest servant. Which is most likely the one that's been with him for a while, which means right. possibly the one of his most trusted ones. I think, yes, but I think the key thing is that he, this guy is older and has wisdom. He's been around for a while. He's not, he's not new. Um, and he thinks that it's going to be better just to send him to go find someone in, among my relatives go find a cousin or something like that for Isaac to marry. And remember, we've talked about this, it's not unusual for those times for this type of for yeah. to marry your cousin. Plus the fact that it was poor Edgar Allan Poe married his first cousin. Okay. Who died at the age of twenty four from tuberculosis. Okay. So um being old as old as Abraham is now, he's not going to make that journey. He he's pretty old. He's probably not moving as much as around as much as he used to. By moving around, I mean moving where he lives. Um, and what he is looking to do is to he's putting it in God's hand, because what we would see this chapter is a very long chapter. It is six. 57 verses long. So we are not going to read the whole thing. And it's really a totally different, um, separate story, but we're using it for context here. And the servant goes, and what happens is he gets to Haran, and there's a well there, and he's come with his camels to make the journey. And he said, prays to God and says, God, let... Um, Whatever, whoever the first woman is when they come to the well at this time of day, which is what they all did, when she comes, whoever, whichever woman comes to the well and offers me a cup of water and then offers all of my camels water also, let that be the one that you want Isaac to marry. And technically it's that he's going to ask them for, to put down a picture and give him a cup of water. Yes, it's not important though. So, um, what happens, that very thing happens, and it's important because I don't know how much a camel drinks, but I know other big animals like that and how much they drink. That's a lot of water to pull out of a well. Remember, this is like old timey well with a rope and a bucket to draw the water out. Camels actually don't drink that much. Water, they'll actually drink around half a bucket of what you normally use for a well now, which would be about a bucket of what they had for an old small well there. No, they drink a lot. That's what they yeah. do. They don't like drink very drink often. Because they'll keep, because they'll store all of their humps, so they won't really drink that much, just enough to store at least, like, enough to fill at least about half the hump. But that's yeah. also not true because they don't store water in their humps. That's a misnomer. Okay, so, so this is what he uses to d help him help God select who is going to be um, Isaac's wife. And 
It ends up being a girl named Rebecca, and she is actually the granddaughter of Nahor. And uh, let's go ahead and read now. Skip, skip to the end of the chapter. We're going to read really verse 63 through 67. And we're at Eli. And Isaac went out to, to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. Sorry. Just so you, you have context, this is now the servant is bringing Rebecca back to Isaac and Abraham where they live. All right, go ahead. And Rebecca looked up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted up the camel. And she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Okay, so, ah, uh, they love at first sight, and everything is great. So, um... Technically, there's no such thing as love at first sight. It's actually a chemical reaction that's, that's made by looking into the eyes of someone which has been proven to happen. Okay, but that's still through the eyes. Okay, so. It's just a chemical reaction. I know, there's lots of things not really in your body that are chemical reactions, but we use external um, things that we see to describe them. So. You mean external logic? No, things that we see. Okay, so. So now we're gonna jump ahead now a little bit more in time. Abraham takes another wife in chapter 25. He marries again, and he marries um, uh, Keturah, and he ends up having six children with her. So, and he is like, um, I don't think it says how old he is here, but he is like probably 160 now. He's pretty old. Um, I take that back. He's 140 because... Isaac married Sarah when he was 40. And he has these other children. And what's interesting, if you read the first uh, 10 verses there in this chapter, is that he sends those children away just like he did with Ishmael. Which is kind of weird. Now, it doesn't say they sent them away when they were young. It's more implies that he, because he sends them away with a gift, like when they're older, when they're going to go out on their own. But he doesn't want them around Isaac. Um, because he is trying to make sure that there are no fights when Isaac, in, in, or disputes, that Isaac is his heir, that he's the chosen one. And it's, it's just another thing to show you, you're like, why did that even get put in the Bible? That's a weird thing to put in there. It doesn't really relate to anything else. We never see those people again. But it is just more of showing the Bible is telling you what happened. It's showing you that these are just normal people. This is, what, this is the kind of things that go on in our lives. And... Abraham now has reached the age of 175, which is 
really old and he dies and Isaac and Ishmael actually comes back and they bury him in the same cave where Sarah is buried. And you think, well, okay, that's the end of it. That's it for Abraham. But it's not quite. We got a little bit more to talk about. And I got another question for you. Who is the oldest person in your family that you know or have known? Like know of? Like Bob. know of or have actually met? No, like you met, You. I would even go further that you had some kind of a relationship. Like more than you met what them you, when you were two years old, okay? What if you've like um, heard stories about them? Um, and you feel kind of like you know. That's okay too, yep. Yeah. That could apply. Then I would say 109. Okay, who was it to you? Um, he was like my great 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 uncle on my father's side of the family. Okay, all right. So a great uncle. Anybody else have anyone other than Bob? Sierra, who's the oldest? You know. And you knew her? Okay. How old was she when you died? Or when she died? I was five. Okay. I'm assuming the same thing for you as Audrey, Gideon. So that must have been really sad for you, Sierra. How about? I said that must have been really sad for you. I don't think I really understood it at the time. How about Michael or Briley, who's the oldest? How old are you guys? Your great grandma, okay. And is she still alive? Yeah. Okay, well, so you guys know her pretty well then. I are fairly better than probably most of us know um, people that old. So I don't know any great grandparents. I only know grandparents. So, um, but some people know even like great, great grandparents, which is unusual, but some people do. It happens, it works out. You know, people get married early, they have children early, if that happens a few generations in a row, and then they know them. And we, um, now let me ask you another question. Who, who has shaped you the most who you are? You don't, you don't have to say that if you don't what want to. What if it wasn't a person? What if it was like a TV then? Well, I hope that there's a person that has shaped no, you a lot. No, it was TV. <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk about people because that, that's more applicable. Probably Uncle Dodge because he's the one who scarred me for life with Night of the Living Dead when I was two. Okay. So, has, has that person that you knew was the oldest person in the family you, you that you knew shaped you at all? No, he was like, I want to say like the 30th, maybe 40th oldest, and he was like 70, like 75 to be exact. So they probably have shaped you to a certain degree, even if you don't know them super well. They've somehow they have changed who you are because you can't come in contact with anyone without them having an effect on you. Um, you, but even more than that, probably, or most certainly their genes have affected you because you're related to them. Um, okay, well that's different then. But how about this? Have your parents shaped you? 
Yeah. Well, or grandparents, you know, who, or grandparents, whoever cares for you, aunt or uncle. That's okay, though. You guys don't have to say it. You can think it. That's okay. All right. So we have. We are shaped both by, well, of course, your DNA, but you are also shaped by your environment and by what you are taught. So it's, it's both things. And we have Isaac, that he has been influenced, obviously, by Abraham, right? He's his son, so that's natural. And uh, it could be that that is very much could be. Um, we don't know a lot about his relationship with his mother, but like you said, that's that's pretty insightful that we know there that he, he was grieving her a lot. Um, and we see that one of the first things here once Isaac is on his um, kind of on his own, has his own now his own family that one of the ways that he was shaped, one of his first things that we see him doing on his own in Genesis chapter 25, where we um, left off, but we're going to go down to verse 19. And we're going to read verse 19 through 23. Uh, 25. Uh, verse 19 is where we're going to start. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah for wife, the daughter of Bithram and Saron of Pandarium, the sister of Lebanon and Saron. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife continued. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I less? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy room, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Okay. So. Do you see Abraham anywhere in this? Not in that section, no. Yes. I see him all over the place in this. Why do you see him, Audrey? Where do you well, see him? What's the first thing? First of all, um, Rebecca couldn't have kids at first, and then she could. Okay, so this is a familiar situation to Isaac. Although he wasn't there yet, but I'm sure he heard a lot about it, right? So... Then what, what else do we see? Um, two nations will come out of, out of her. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't even have that written down, but that's good. And then the, um, and then the, they were, the two kids were, were fighting. I think yes. I see a bit of another story. What? Um, I can't remember the name of it, but the one where the one had the gigantic, like, hairy hands, and then there was the other younger one, who I believe had kind of like your name, that when they were born he was on his hand. Yeah, that's this one. 
That is this one. Very good. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. That you would find out if you read a couple verses on that this that was this. So, the other thing, so we see that the first thing Isaac's reaction when he when they are having trouble having children, what does he do? right there in the text. He goes to God. He goes and he prays about it. So this is certainly something that he learned from Abraham. Because nobody else in his family did this. His father is the only one who followed after God like this. Oh, and his mother, of course. Um, so we got another one here. Let's jump down to oh, chapter 26. And verse, well, I'm, for sake of time, we're not going to read it, but it's verses 1 through 7. And what happens is there is a famine, again, in the land. says that it's worse than the one that happened to Abraham. And Isaac goes and he dwells with Abimelech, which is the one that is in the land of Philistines that his father knew. And when he goes there, he tells Rebekah, his wife, Say you're my sister. Wow, that's really familiar, isn't it? Like crazy. Isn't it interesting how, how much he is like his father? I mean, it's, you see the bad stuff comes out too, right? And maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't realize this yet. But you will. As you get older, as you go out on your own, you will start to see things where you're like, oh, that was just like my mom. Or that was just like my dad, and I wish I wasn't like that. Or I wish I didn't do that. And that'll happen, okay? And it's, it is just fascinating how he has the exact same struggle, and there is a plague, and they go through a whole thing again with that, with all of that, and it just carries on. So, back to verse, we're going to jump back to 25, back to that other story quick. And verses 27 and 28, let's read those quick. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay. So. Isaac's and Rebekah's two sons, Jacob and Esau, twins. One of them is a real outdoors guy, hunts, is a great hunter. The other one's kind of like an indoor person. Yeah, Jacob kind of just hangs out at the tents. That's just where he feels more comfortable. He probably helps take care of flocks and helps obviously with the cooking because if you know the story, he's a pretty good cook. And the thing I don't get is why he thinks his older that he's going to serve his older brother. Because technically, if his older brother sold him his birthright, then that would mean the younger would have to serve the older one. If you think about it. No, the birth, the birthright of the firstborn was he would have to serve the younger one, and he gave. No, that's not the brother. birthright. That's just a prophecy. That's what God said is going to happen. The, Which is kind of the birthright, if you think about it. It's not because the birthright is. Um, the birthright is that 
whoever is the oldest gets everything. They get the all the father's money, their land, their possessions. That's what the birthright was then. Okay, so it's it's a little different than then. I know it, it can be confusing, and you got to look at it closely. So, why do you think there was this favoritism that went on? Perhaps it's because, like, when it said he kind of eat his venison, it kind of. I think it's kind of because sometimes he would also cook in like that goat soup. His father kind of loved all that. No, he likes Esau because of the venison. Because Esau is the one who goes out and hunts it and gets it, and they wouldn't have the venison. Perhaps he likes him because he kind of does a bit more when it comes to like helping out the family, kind of way, like going and gathering the food, kind of way. Okay. He likes so him because he brings in good stuff, like the food. So there's definitely some natural right, tendencies right, where. The other one probably because he kind of okay. with, like the cooking. Yes. The listen, chores. listen. So there's definitely natural tendencies, natural personalities that align there, but. That could be overcome. What do we see similar? What do we see that might, that this might come out of? You know, it's kind of like his grandpa Isaac a bit. Like when it No, Isaac's the father. You mean Abraham. Abraham, sorry. I can't speak to That's okay. So... How about Abraham, the whole Abraham, Sarah, Ishmael, Isaac? Remember all that? Just the weird family dynamics and there being division and Sarah and Abraham weren't always unified together because of their decisions. They made some decisions that put wedges between them, um, some bad decisions. And it may be that Isaac just doesn't know what that spouse relationship is supposed to look like. He might not have just observed it. We don't know a whole lot about it, but he just might not have ever had a good picture of that. And perhaps he favorites his firstborn trying to make up for when his, his father Abraham lacked because his father Abraham had another son, which was his firstborn. So perhaps he's trying to give his son kind of like a bit of a better like relationship with his father than the other one had. Okay, there's definitely some... Um, Definitely some issues in the past with that, right? Just because of the nature of it. Um, so, let's now go one generation further. Because um, Isaac, honestly, he's not that impressive in what he does. He, the, the good things that he does, this is the list of it. He, the best thing that he does is he passes on um, <clears throat> that he, his reaction was to pray for children. All right, that was his first thing. A good thing they did to, to turn to God. That was good that he passed that on. Um, the second is he passes on the promise. They, both his children know about the promise. It's obviously talked about a lot. And that's important. And then the last thing that he does that's recorded that is good is he builds two wells or digs two wells and builds them and that's it that's all for his whole legacy that's all he has compared to Abraham and Jacob honestly Esau has just as much written about him there's not a whole lot that Isaac does I think he was a bad guy 
Not, he didn't. He wasn't a terrible person or anything like that, but not a lot. So let's look at the next generation further. We look at Jacob then. Why did Jacob want the birthright and the blessing? Because it's pretty obvious he wanted it, right? He cheated and he stole to get the birthright and the blessing. Why did he want it so bad? This is something to think about a lot. There's, there's an easy answer that's one half of it. And we talked about it. It's right when they were born. Yes. So, right, God said, I'm picking the younger one. All right, he said that from the beginning. This, that's what's going to happen. So, but God knows what's going to happen, right? He knows what Jacob was going to be in Jacob's heart from the beginning. But the other thing that is more relatable that that we can learn something from was that Jacob is always searching for this. There's something that has piqued his interest that he is always searching for something that is deeper. Something more than just existence like Esau has. Esau, he's successful, everybody likes him, he's popular, he's strong, he does well, but Jacob wants something deeper out there. And here's the interesting thing, that until Jacob and Esau were 15 years old, Abraham lived with them in their tent until he died. So they both knew Abraham until they were 15 years old when he died. So they both had equal opportunity to know what Abraham was all about, to know about his faith, to know about his relationship with God. I'm sure they saw him praying. They saw him probably doing sacrifices, heard him talk about all the things that happened to him in his life and how God was there. And maybe that has something to do why Jacob was in the tent a lot. I don't know that at all. That's just me wondering about it. Perhaps but, he was there because that's where Abraham died, or perhaps he was there at the same time when he was kind of like younger, asking Abraham about stories of his life. Right, we're not sure. So, <clears throat> we see that Esau, in the end, you see, you find out that he marries two Canaanite women that his parents don't want him to marry. They say that's a bad idea. And Esau didn't in the end value anything that Abraham stood for. That stuff what didn't matter to him. He just threw it away. And on the flip side, Jacob was he was learning about it, maybe even without knowing it. Maybe it was just through being around it. And we don't have time to read it, but you're probably all familiar with Jacob's dream where he falls asleep and his, the ladder that goes to heaven and the angels are going up and down it to God's throne. And he has that dream there. And that, at that point, this is, that is the most important point in Jacob's entire life when he's running for his life from Esau, who's going to kill him. He sleeps out there and he meets God. 
and he says, right there, he builds an altar to God, and he says, he's, he's terrified, but he says, I promise to always follow you, God, no matter what, as long as you bring me back safe. Bring me back safe, and then I will also give you a tenth of everything that I have. So he's, he's making a covenant with God. He's making a promise to God there that he's always going to seek after him. And if you know anything about Jacob, he is, he is such a seedy character in the Bible. He cheats his father. He cheats his brother. He cheats his uncle. He, now, his uncle does cheat him, but... He, everyone's been told two wrongs don't make a right, right? So, and he is, he's not a good father. He, he doesn't manage his family well. He's just, he's not a great guy. But despite all of that, the one thing that was important was he always sought after God. No matter how much he was making a mistake, or making error, he always came back to God. That was his main thing, was to follow after him. Perhaps that's why Rebecca loved him. No, that's it. Rebecca. Oh, his mother? Um, maybe. She was kind of in on the cheating thing. It's kind of a family um, trait. So, in the uh, end... Technically, the family trait would kind of be treacherous more than cheating. Like, they can be treacherous, meaning... They, they can be. Yeah, so, um, so the, you have to think about how you two are being shaped. Everyone's being shaped. You're being shaped by your surroundings, by your upbringing, by your teachers, by your friends, by your family members. All those things are shaping you. But you have to be careful who you allow to shape you. There's lots of things out there, and you have to ask yourself, the bottom line is, are they someone who has faith in God? Are they like Abraham, where that is, the, that is how they center their life? Everything is measured off of that. Everything just moves around that. And if God is at the center, that's the only thing that you have that is good about you. That's it. Because you look at Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, and they all make these mistakes. Sarah makes mistakes. Rebecca makes mistakes. But their only saving grace is God. That's, that's where all the goodness in them comes from. So it's just something to think about. Um, and that's the end of Abraham. And we'll do something different next week. Thank you.